Hey now, we are getting over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times with your weekly WWE edition of your favorite professional wrestling podcast. That's right, Getting Over is back to break down all things SmackDown and all things Raw from the week that was in World Wrestling Entertainment, and we have a ton to talk about on today's show, the first show that has taken our normal four to five day break and allowed the Silver King to actually refresh a little bit. I feel rejuvenated. I feel alive again talking professional wrestling after a whirlwind of a few weeks that included WrestleMania, NXT Stand and Deliver, WWE releases, bonus interview episodes. Finally, I feel like we can get back into the groove of things. The Silver King gets his groove back, you could say, and talk wrestling on schedule as we normally do. We do have a loaded show today once again. Not only, of course, are we talking about everything that happened on SmackDown and Raw over the last week, we're also at the very end of the show going to dip our toe into Impact Wrestling Rebellion. I did not want to wait all the way until Thursday's episode to talk about Sunday's pay-per-view. So the Silver King does have a few thoughts on Impact, and I will break those down at the end of the show, but I don't want to waste much time getting into it. We have a lot to talk about today. So as always, I'm here to welcome in my co-host, Vintage Chris Vanini. Chris, uh, I think it's fair to say we had this conversation right as we were setting up the recording today. Look, I, I know it's repetitive, right? And we often begin the show in the same way, but SmackDown every week, it's two hours. Uh, Fridays, many Fridays, I'm out. I go to breweries on Fridays, usually eat out lunch or something. I forget SmackDown's on. It's just like it's my off day normally. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, I have SmackDown to watch tonight. That's great. Because on Friday night, unless you're watching sports, there's generally not that much on television. But I go into Mondays after a long work day, and it's just like, oh, my God, I have to sit through a three-hour Raw tonight. The first hour of Raw on Monday, it was as bad as it's ever been. Somehow, the second and third hour I don't want to say rejuvenated me, but it brought me back a little bit. I enjoyed the second and third hour of Raw, but it started off as repetitive, as mind-numbing, as poorly booked as a wrestling show can get. And I don't know what their goal is. I don't know who is booking things over there or what the difference is between Raw and SmackDown, but it's it's not even that SmackDown is great. It's just not dumb and repetitive. And somehow, every single week, Raw is dumb and repetitive. And it's getting to the point where they had really low ratings last week. I don't know what's going to happen this week. But they may get to a point where they have to realize it's not sustainable. Because fan sentiment is clearly turning in another direction on one show of the three they produce every week. Yeah, I mean, like I said before we started recording, like Raw feels like a chore. Like, like like you had tweeted it before you were like, oh, SmackDown's on. Oh, I guess Raw's on. And it's it's so I don't know if it's the whole Fox thing and, you know, Michael Cole's over there and they clearly treat it like a bigger deal. But just, man, we, we keep getting Raw's that are so repetitive. And you were hoping coming out of what was a really, really good WrestleMania that we could kind of jumpstart into a new set of things. But they just it feels like they're just trying to get through the day. Every single time I watch Raw, like, like it's just like, let's just fill some time and then we'll get to the end of the show and then maybe we'll do it next week. And then we do the same thing the next week. It's it's tough. There was some good stuff on Raw. We'll lead off with it. There were there were a couple of good things It did get better as it went along. But yeah, this it doesn't feel 
sustainable to keep doing it like this. It, 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 everything really hinges on the main event storylines. That's just how it is, right? Yeah. On, on SmackDown, we had a storyline that got us really excited for next week's show and really curious what's going to happen on next week's show. But they've also been building for the pay-per-view for Backlash, WrestleMania Backlash, I'm sorry. And it's all heading in a good direction. The main storyline right now on Raw is horrendous. It's it's just, it's terrible. In many ways, it's nonsensical. And it's just, it feels insulting. Then you move over to, I don't even want to call it secondary, because I don't mean that it's secondary, but the women's storylines on both shows. And on, actually, to be fair, they're equally bad on both. So you know yes. what? I'm not even going to, I'm not even going to say that it's good on SmackDown. But that's that's the only real difference. It's like the mid card on both, they're both relatively okay. The tag team on both, both relatively okay. But where the tone and tenor of an episode of a show of a brand changes, it's what's happening in your main event. And right now, SmackDown feels like it's maybe not the best booked thing of all time, but it's totally competent, totally entertaining, and it fits. It's it the main event, and it gets the most attention. It, it feels like something's going to happen on SmackDown. It feels like something's going to happen. Every time you watch. Yeah. The problem with Raw is you just you don't know if like anything important will happen. SmackDown just always feels like something could happen. And you can predict every single thing that's going to happen. Like even even in WrestleMania, yes, did did we predict McIntyre would win? Yeah, but you could see Lashley winning that match. Like it was it was really a 50-50 proposition because the guy had just won the title. Over on SmackDown, we went through all the different machinations of who could or would or should win that match. And I think we both expected someone else to win, but ultimately we got what we thought was the best booking, which was Roman Reigns winning in the end. So it's just a, a total a frustration with this. Th- and it's three hours, like on top of it not being good, it's three hours and it's every Monday night, yeah. again, at the start of the work week. And look, when NFL comes back and you're going up against Monday Night Football, WWE usually tries harder and, and Raw usually is better. But that doesn't mean that it should be shitty the rest of the year. And it's shitty right now. It's yeah. a really bad program. So. I, I got the feeling watching Roman and, and Dana Bryan and Cesaro on SmackDown that just SmackDown makes its makes its top guys feel like stars. Look what they did to Cesaro to just boom, he's here. Look what they did to Nakamura for a month one time. Look what they did for Jey Uso. Look what they did to create the tag teams. They, they make their people feel important. And it just it feels like everything on Raw is designed not to do that. Big E, Apollo Crews, they've yeah. actually helped Otis and Chad Gable, to be fair to them. The Dirty Dogs feel like a legitimate tag team finally. Yes, I mean, these people are getting built up well. But you know what? We're kind of preluding it, so let's just get right into it. As always, we start the show with the main event. And I do like starting the main event on a good note. So we will start with SmackDown, where the main storyline surrounded Roman Reigns, Cesaro, and Daniel Bryan. Cesaro opened the show in the ring with a mic, but was immediately interrupted by Seth Rollins, who said Cesaro got his WrestleMania moment, but couldn't beat him again. As Rollins approached the ring, Jey Uso came out and tore Cesaro down. He was ready to attack, but Rollins convinced him to team up and surround the ring, which already when that started, I was like, this is an interesting episode of SmackDown. Mm -hmm. Like Rollins and Jey? Like, why are you, why is this happening? Like, why are we getting it? Is this is this going to have something to do with Roman? Like it all was exciting right off the bat. Anyway, uh, that led Daniel Bryan out to say that Cesaro has worked harder than everyone, including Roman Reigns, and deserves a title shot. That led Roman Reigns out to brag about smashing, stacking, and pinning Bryan and Edge. 
He ran down how they're losers and didn't address Rollins at all as SmackDown went to commercial. So we come back and the four guys, Cesaro, Brian, Rollins, and Jey Uso, they're all fighting in the ring, brawling. I kind of like that because the action was kind of right there as soon as you came back. Then they started the match. Rollins, by the way, was wearing tights that had his image looking like an Obama Hope poster, which I thought was pretty interesting. He's really leaning into this political version of this gimmick now. Not only did they have the ads previously, certainly the tights. He's saying fake news on social media. I don't know how I feel about all of that, but I certainly am able to sustain it and watch it now more so than I was would have been six months ago. So yeah, it's, it's better when you're not in a political season, I think. Right. Not just a season, but a climate where sure. there's a lot of um, energy and momentum, perhaps, against something, right? I just hope he doesn't go to the level where he's mocking that person. Like, right. not, not mocking that person, but putting those traits onto my television again after they haven't been on my television yeah. for four months. Let's hope it doesn't go that far. But anyway... Uh, so the match is going on. Brian ate a buckle bomb and an Uso splash, but Cesaro made the save. The match was fantastic, honestly, with great wrestling, as you would expect from all four of them. Cesaro got the hot tag, flipped out of a back body drop, hit some European uppercuts, but Rollins broke a fall. Jay broke a sharpshooter on Rollins and tagged in. Rollins grabbed his back and began limping backstage. So Cesaro superplexed Jay from the ring apron and Brian hit the running knee for the win. Brian sat on the top rope, trash talking reigns as Cesaro swung Jay <laughs> like 15 times when Reigns didn't come out. Cesaro did it another 20 times as Brian continued poking Reigns, saying he was afraid of Cesaro, afraid he would beat him for the universal title. Other than Brian getting the win instead of Cesaro, and it definitely should have been the other way, given that they're trying to push and build Cesaro as a main eventer. So I have no idea why they had Brian win. This was a phenomenal tag team match and a great opening to the show. I gave it like a 3.75, a B plus for a match. Everything that I just said, that whole breakdown, encompassed 42 minutes, the first 42 minutes of a two-hour show. Brian did a great job serving as Cesaro's mouthpiece. WWE did not show the UFO replay at all throughout the entire episode, which was great. <laughs> and there's a built-in storyline of Reigns being cowardly ahead of this challenge. We're going to talk about everything else that happened. But for the first 42 minutes, I was 100% sports entertained. They had me captivated at what was happening on TV. Yeah, it, it was fresh. It was different. Like you said, Rollins and Jey Uso together, Dan O'Brien and Cesaro together. Let's just throw some people who are really good at what they do, throw them together and let them spend almost half of your show uh, doing this. And, and then Matt match was great, obviously. And then Dan O'Brien gets on the, the top rope and starts trash talking Roman. And you're like, oh, I don't normally see this on a wrestling show. It didn't feel formulaic. It was just like, I don't know. what's I, I do not know what's going to happen here. This is interesting. It was it was a lot of fun. Anything Daniel Bryan does is fun. Then you're going to throw Seth Rollins, Jey Uso, and Cesaro around him. And yeah, it's just like you got really talented people. Go let them do things that highlight how awesome they are. And you get an awesome 42-minute uh, segment like that. So after the match, these guys were still on screen basically the entire show. Jay was angry backstage in an interview. Bryan pressured Adam Pierce to make Cesaro's title match happen. Paul Heyman promised that Reigns would address the challenge before the night was out. Uh, and then we get into the main event segment and Brian and Cesaro are in the ring calling out Reigns to address the challenge. Reigns said he was offended. Cesaro thought he could even challenge him and said no, because Cesaro wasn't on his level 
and that the champion is the one who issues the challenges on SmackDown. Reigns said his challenge actually goes to Brian because he hates him and wants him gone from SmackDown forever. So he challenged him to a one-on-one match that if Daniel Bryan loses, he gets basically kicked out of SmackDown forever. Cesaro said Bryan has to take the opportunity. He was trying to force him to accept it, even though Bryan was reluctant at first. But once Reigns issued the stipulation, Bryan's, you could see his head snapped and he, he turned and he immediately accepted. So that was the main event segment. In all, these guys got, I didn't count every minute on the entire show. I have to believe it was over or if not over, then extremely close to one hour. The main storyline got an hour of a two hour show. Now, some people will say, well, okay, yeah, but then you didn't utilize the rest of your roster. It's actually not true. That other hour included a lot of other people. The the people who suffered from this were the women. And that is something we're going to talk about later. But before we get to that, we're going to talk about this. I'm insanely intrigued by this, Chris. Um, You know, Daniel Bryan over the last few weeks has come out and done some interviews. And he's always very candid in interviews, which I appreciate. He said his contract's up in a few months, not not right now, but I believe in the fall. And he is not sure what he wants to do. He knows he no longer wants to wrestle full time, but he does want to wrestle. And he gave a quote where he said, hey, it would be great if I could figure out a way to work in X, Y, and Z promotions and WWE is how he put it. I don't get a feeling from Daniel Bryan that he will leave WWE. Do I think there could be a scenario in which he takes a sabbatical like Rey Mysterio did and and works his way back? I think that's possible. But WWE is not really in a position these days with the existence of AEW to allow Bryan out of his contract, meaning I think they will offer him whatever money is necessary to get him to resign with them. But again, that's not happening today anyway. And he does have numerous, from what I understand, months left on his contract. But I do think this booking is interesting. It's very rare in WWE that you get a stipulation match like this and the stipulation does not happen. Like Daniel Bryan winning the title here doesn't seem to be the conclusion of this feud of this match. It For him to say, okay, well, I'm not leaving SmackDown and I'm now the universal champion. That doesn't really seem like it's the storytelling WWE is going after. So for me, I see it ending one of a few ways. One way is Edge coming back, factoring in, costing Brian the title, forcing him off SmackDown. And that can come to a head at WrestleMania next year or at some point down the line, you can do a Daniel Bryan Edge one-on-one match. The other scenario is Edge doesn't factor in at all. Jey Uso factors in or Reigns just beats him or something happens with Cesaro. But one way or another, I just don't see a way that where Brian walks out as the new universal champion. I think he's off SmackDown. I assume he'll take a couple months off probably to be with the family because he did this long sustained run on the way to WrestleMania. And I think he's going to wind up on Raw or NXT. I don't think this is a uh, loser leaves WWE match because they have been adamant that it's SmackDown. They said it not only did Michael Cole follow up this segment by hammering it home at the end of SmackDown, they made sure it was clear with Paul Heyman on Talking Smack and they've hammered it home on social media as well that it's loser leaves, not loser leaves SmackDown, but Daniel Bryan, if he loses, leaves SmackDown. So that's how I see it playing out. I'm intrigued by it. It definitely created a scenario where we're getting a match with two of the top superstars in WWE in the main event of next week's show, which should produce an extremely high rating. 
I loved everything this Friday. I'm intrigued to see next Friday. And then I'm intrigued to see what happens going forward. Yeah, I mean, my first thought was Daniel Bryan leaves SmackDown and goes to Raw because of kind of what we opened up with by saying Raw doesn't have star power right now. And, and Daniel Bryan makes everything he touches better. So getting Daniel Bryan over there to make Raw better feels like something they would do. Maybe he takes time off in between for his, his family, like you said. As for Bryan's long-term future, I, I mean, I got the sense watching that BT Sport interview that um, that he maybe just doesn't want to wrestle a ton anymore. He talked about how he's not obsessed with his wrestling always having to be good anymore. He talked about the main event at WrestleMania feeling like an out-of-body experience, and he, and he was incredibly calm for some reason. So maybe he's considering just something after wrestling. I, I, I don't know. I don't think he knows, but that was something I took away from that interview. And it comes back to this segment, which was, I thought it was, I thought it was great. And I thought it was hilarious for Roman Reigns to just be like, nah, I'm not fighting Cesaro. I'm fighting you, Dana Bryan, because I hate you. I right. want you to go because, away. Because F you. Yeah. Because you are, <laughs> you are annoying right. the shit out of me. Go away. And this is, and this follows, you know, Kevin Owens had to goad Roman Reigns into title shots after Roman didn't want to do it. So you, you know, there is precedent for getting on his bad side, becoming a, a, an annoying little bug to him, and he's willing to put the title on the line for that. So uh, this was great. And, and, and the re I mean, part of part of the reason these guys got almost an hour on the show was also because it was to build a title match for next week. Like you, you had to put in the time to build up why this is why this all mattered. And it mattered because you're going to have a title match next week. So I, I thought this all made perfect sense. And I am incredibly excited for it. I'm just, I would love a swerve. Like, I I don't know how they could realistically take the title off Roman Reigns and make it make sense. But a swerve here without them living up to the stipulation would just be so fun and smart headline grabbing. It would be so exciting to have that happen, but I just don't see it happening. So ultimately a scenario where I do think Reigns wins, I guess we're still going to get Reigns versus Cesaro at WrestleMania Backlash. Like it's weird to have this title match when I guess three weeks from now or so we're about to have a pay-per-view, Right. but they clearly have been building up to the Cesaro match. And then the question is, well, you've been having Daniel Bryan clearly do the heavy lifting for Cesaro from a mic standpoint. And now you're just going to basically have Cesaro go at it on his own over this three-week build, possibly to Backlash. So I don't know really necessarily how they're going to do it. I don't have 100% confidence that Roman Reigns is going to win. But I, I'm 90, what, 8%? Like, it, it seems almost a sure thing, right, at this point? Probably. I mean, speaking of these um, stipulations, was the I'm trying to remember. I don't watch NXT all the time. Was the Kyle, Kyle O'Reilly, Adam Cole... No match was that a loser leaves NXT? No, it wasn't. I is that, it is that what been. you wanted? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That okay. That's why it was in my head because it made it made complete sense based yeah. on that storyline that you have two guys who cannot coexist. William Regal can't deal with them both being healthy and active at the same time, as proven by the go home storylines. So why why would you not make it loser leaves NXT? Like yeah, it makes totals. Instead, the person who left NXT was Roderick Strong, who had nothing. I mean. He's tangentially related to that feud, but he had nothing to do with the match itself. So it was just, I found it incredibly strange that they didn't go in that direction. Adam Cole's going to be on 
NXT tonight. We tape on Tuesday, so apparently he's going to say something. We'll see what direction it heads. But yes, that should have been loser leaves NXT. This, because it is Brian leaves SmackDown if he loses, I just, I anticipate that's what will happen. And I think people, you'll start seeing, you know, dirt sheet headlines and people tweeting, oh my God, he's going to go to AEW. This No, <laughs> he's no. going to go to Raw or NXT. Like that's what's going to happen. And honestly, if they want to put Daniel Bryan on NXT, he may be the one guy, maybe Reigns would be the other guy. Who could get NXT to a million? Like, I don't know that 200,000 people would suddenly tune in to watch him, but I do think incrementally over the weeks, if you put him in major storylines with Gargano and Adam Cole and some of these people, Finn Balor, like that show could, they could really do something if they put him I mean, in NXT. I, I, I mean, I, there, there's a million dream match scenarios. We'll see what happens on Friday. I, I, think, I think the only reason he goes to NXT would be once or twice to basically remind people that NXT is now on Tuesdays and that's where you got to watch it. I don't see him. I think you can put him there for six months. I don't see why. I would love it. I'm just saying, I don't think WWE is going to do that. I think WWE is going to say, this is Dana Bryan. We got to put him on raw because that's where the money is. Possibly. Yeah. I mean, raw needs the help. Certainly NXT is operating just fine without him. Raw really does need him, but then you bring him on raw. What you feed him to Lashley the first month. And then he's a mid Carter again. Like that's just what they do. So All right, we'll find out. We'll see what happens Friday night on SmackDown. I am excited, not as excited about what's going down on Raw, where we got the advertised match eventually of Drew McIntyre and Braun Strowman against T-Bar and Mace. So, all right, like this is just going to be a complaint fest. It's going to be one after another here, but that's what's going to happen. So T-Bar and Mace lose the masks, but they kept the face paint. Some people are like, oh, now their faces are painted. No, they were always painted under the masks. They kept the face paint. They kept the stupid names. They kept the generic entrance. And now they're wearing plain black tights. They had a full week since removing the masks and they showed no creativity, no effort whatsoever to do anything with them. It just goes to show how little they care about certain talent. These guys easily could have had, they could have come back this week, one week later with some type of logo, their regular names, uh, Dijak and Dio, they could have used whatever, a tag team name they could have had, where even if they you want to keep T-Bar and Mace, at least they have a tag team, uh, some new entrance music. It could have just been a repackaging of these two guys that they underwent over the last week. Instead, they do absolutely nothing for them whatsoever. So then you have McIntyre and Strowman arguing in Corella position. So Braun decides, I'm going to go do this match on my own as a two-on-one handicap match, which is exactly the match we got last week with Drew McIntyre. Then Strowman gets beat up in a two-on-one disqualification finish, which is the exact match and finish, sorry, we got last week on Raw. And then Drew McIntyre comes out to save him, which is exactly what Strowman did last week on Raw. So we get the tag team match that we got last week on Raw. Like, how the fuck do they think they can get away with just copying and pasting? One week to another, and then finding and replacing names. That's exactly what they did. They switched McIntyre with Strowman, and they gave us the exact same shit as last week. It's lazy, it's garbage, and it is actually unique to Raw. It used to be unique to WWE as a whole. But SmackDown and NXT do not do this. This is Raw-specific. So then you get into the tag team match. Strowman does the runaway trading thing, and WWE, to their credit, did get rid of the train sound. So good on them. Thank God for that. 
when he rounded the corner, McIntyre was trying to clothesline one of the re- former Retribution guys. Instead, he hit Strowman with it. McIntyre got thrown over the barricade and he was unable to beat the 10 count. So Mason T-Bar won via countout. Braun was pissed, hit him with a running power slam and yelled. So T-Bar and Mace now have a fluke win after a repetitive segment that took 20 minutes to open the show. And the number one contender to the WWE title lost that match unnecessarily, then gets a running power slam at the end of it. And then we'll talk about in a moment what happened in the main event. If they had just given these guys their names back and adjusted their gimmick, at least they could have built off this win. They could have said, look, we built, we beat these guys twice. We're going to move on and actually go into the tag team division and start challenging for the titles. This was an awful start to the show. Yeah, I, I will say it was, I think T-Bar had some funny tweets about it at the time. I, I've just now started following him. He's actually, he's good. He's, yeah. he's pretty funny. He's pretty funny on Twitter. But yeah, this was, this is, this is an example where I said, it feels like they're just trying to fill time. Like maybe they have an end goal in mind and they're just like, we'll just spin our wheels for a little bit until we get there. And yeah, repeating what we did the previous week and just reversing it is an example of that. Should T-Bar and Mace have had a different gimmick? Yeah. If, you know, if you thought they were going to do anything with these guys, I'm skeptical. There are really any long-term plans out of this. I think they're just, here too. Oh, there's no long-term plan. Long-term. I, I wish there was some short-term plan. I, I mean, <laughs> I even mean short-term. Yeah, just, just. Do I think there's any purpose for these guys after this next Lashley, Strowman, uh, McIntyre match? No, I think they're just here to fill some time. So, kind of. I mean, I'm glad they got a promo. I'm glad they're not wearing the masks. I'm glad they talked a little bit. I, I think it was an improvement, but yeah, it was another missed opportunity to maybe do a little bit more with these guys. By the way, I hit the wrong sound drop. I did. I brought I'm Bored Brother onto the show to use later. I brought this one back as well. This is bullshit, man! Which is actually appropriate because it's involving Lashley and MVP. So that's the one I, I needed to use. But anyway, so all of this results in a main event match. Drew McIntyre versus Braun Strowman. McIntyre demanded the match from Pierce. Then Strowman demanded to be added to the WWE Championship match at WrestleMania Backlash if he beats McIntyre. MVP and Bobby Lashley put Lashley over uh, in the ring in a promo segment, said it was great to get the fans respect at Mania, but that any decision Pierce or WWE makes without consulting him is disrespectful. He and MVP complained about a potential triple threat match before it even happened. And then MVP approached Braun about it later, and it just felt like Lashley was going to interfere in the main event. They telegraphed it the entire way. So the match happens. McIntyre got enhanced pyro. Lashley and MVP came out after a few minutes. Strowman caught the Claymore for a powerbomb and a near fall. McIntyre hit a good spinebuster for 2.5. Strowman had McIntyre primed, but Lashley distracted the referee, and MVP pulled McIntyre off his shoulders. So they basically stopped him from getting a running power slam, making it look like this guy was going to lose. McIntyre then set up the Claymore. When T-Bar and Mace run in to attack him again, giving Strowman the opening to hit the running power slam, and beat McIntyre and basically get over him twice in a single episode. They still have provided, by the way, zero reason why T-Bar and Mace keep attacking McIntyre. They're clearly not part of the Hurt Business, not part of MVP and Bobby Lashley, which MVP has been saying for weeks because they would not have interfered in that way to get Braun in the match, which clearly MVP and Lashley did not want. It feels to me like we're going to actually get a third tag team match next week where it's 
again, McIntyre and Strowman against T-Bar and Mace with, I guess, McIntyre and Strowman winning this time. The booking was weird to put Strowman in this match. It feels like they're wasting an opponent and forcing McIntyre to be in a match that he's not going to win. They could have left him out of this and had Braun as the number one contender and had Lashley just go over him, just like they had McIntyre go over Braun before he fought Lashley at WrestleMania. I don't know what they're doing here. It's all really, really bad. Um, The match was actually decent, like the action. And guess what? At WrestleMania Backlash, what are we going to get? Big meaty men slapping me. (laughs) (laughs) Like, I actually think the match at at the pay-per-view will be good, which Mm -hmm. is what WWE does. They give a shitty TV and really good pay-per-views. But dude, tell me a reason to care about any of this. Tell me a reason to believe I'm going to tune into Raw next week. And it's not going to be a different machination of the exact same shit. No, exactly. I'm, I'm fully expecting that. And it's, yeah, it's, it's like you said, the, the booking is weird. Why have McIntyre win if then you're going to have Braun make it in the match and then we're going to do this. And, and it's like, uh, and, and then, yeah, the interference, I was, okay, I'm, I'm glad I was not the only one who was confused by who was helping who and why, <laughs> because I was starting to get confused. I was like, wait, why do... Wait, do they want Braun in the match now? I thought they didn't want Braun in the match because Lashley just lost a triple threat and lost to the U.S. title. The, the lone consistent thing about all of this is that T-Bar and Mace hate Drew McIntyre. But we, yeah. but, but we have been given zero reason as to why. Yes, and I don't understand why. That's weird. Also, another thing about Braun in a handicap match, you know, it was not long ago this dude beat the bar by himself at WrestleMania and won the tag team championships. He beat Cesaro and Sheamus. Now he can't beat T-Bar and Mace. He beat Miz and Morrison uh, yeah. in a, in a in handicap the fall. match as well. Yeah, so that stuck out. Anytime you see Braun Strowman in a handicap match, that's going to come to mind. You you can't not think of it. So uh, that was a surprise. Just an, another thing where, you know, it, it would have been good to talk about that. It's all just really frustrating. Now, if they had Mace and T-Bar... Cut a taped promo, because I'm not expecting them to give him a live mic, on why they are rallying against McIntyre. Hey, retribution is over, but Drew McIntyre, we see him as, you know, the the example, the paradigm of of everything bad that is WWE. And we want to take him down. He's gotten too many opportunities. He's been the face of the company for the last year. Meanwhile, we were stuck in doing this. Even break kayfabe a little bit. Okay, like, I can buy that. But they're giving us no motivation. It's been three weeks now that these guys have gone after McIntyre and had matches with him and and gotten disqualifications and got two victories on him and now broken up this main event. And why do they want this main event to be a triple threat? That and, makes and, no sense. And, and they're so not they're give us not, a reason. Yeah, and, and they're not hinting at the mystery. That's the other thing. They're not like why, why are, are they, they doing, doing this? this? We right. do, they, they did it at the end of the first Raw when they when they uh, attacked him at the end of Raw. But we're, they're not building this up as a mystery either. As to see, like, why are they doing this? Will we find out next week why they're doing this? So it's like they're, they're giving it to us and not giving the backstory that would, that would add to it. It's like, yeah, there's no reason. And there's, they're not giving us a reason to think there is a reason. So like, like you, ha- you end the show with you have Adnan Burke. They're putting over the three guys. It's going to be a huge match. And then you have Corey right at the end of the show. You know what, guys? I'm going to find out next week why Mason T-Bar keep doing this. I want to know why they keep interfering with Drew McIntyre. And Adnan's like, all right, we'll see you next week, Monday night on Raw. And now next week you have a sit-down interview segment 
with Corey Mason T-Bar backstage where he's interviewing them and, and finding out their motivations and trying to put them, put them over. Because Corey's actually pretty good when he's given an opportunity and stuff mm-hmm. like that. But instead, they're just like, eh, we'll have him interfere in the main event because we got to figure out a way for Drew McIntyre to lose. And it's just, that's it. We'll see. Look, we'll see what happens next week on Raw. But holy shit, like this main event storyline is horrible. And it sucks because the people involved, Drew McIntyre and Lashley are great. Lashley feels like a WWE champion. Like they call him the almighty WWE champion. He feels like it. He looks like it. He sounds like it. It, it, It's working for him. But they're squandering this while basically ruining in many ways. I don't want to say ruining because that's an over-exaggeration. But knocking Drew McIntyre down a couple pegs. He lost at WrestleMania. He's getting beaten the shit out of by Mason T-Bar. He just lost to Braun Strowman. And he looks dumb in many of the things that he's doing. So they're making him into a dumb baby face. They're putting over Strowman, who McIntyre previously beat. And I think Lashley may have previously beaten as well. And it's just like, why are you doing this? Why is this the feud that's happening? Why are these people all grouped together and they don't have an explanation? If they come in next week and Mason T-Bar explain their reasoning and maybe they get rebranded and a lot of this stuff turns around, then I'll give them a pat on the back and I'll say, you know what, WWE, I was impatient. Yeah, and I put one, the cart before the horse. I don't and, think it's going to happen. Yeah, and one other thing, we can't go an hour and I think it was I think it was like an hour and a half into the show before seeing the WWE champion. Like like last, it year, was ridiculous. Cut yeah. a good promo and stuff like that, but you got if he's the champion, you got to like lean on him as the champion, not lean on Drew McIntyre and T-Bar and Mason Strowman. Then it, you know you got to he it has to all revolve around him. It's it's not. It's revolving around Drew McIntyre still. Yeah. And, and that's something that needs to, I, I will say one positive thing. The larger context of this story was bad, but I did, I did appreciate generally the structure of this main event storyline. They built it throughout the night and sure. built us up to a main event that I was looking forward to. So the basic structure was there. It was good. It's just the larger context around it was, was not good. And I'll, you know what? I'll even give a, po- a couple positive notes too. For, I said, Lashley looks great. He does right. He and MVP are doing a great job. Strowman actually looks pretty good. Like Mm -hmm. he's not a big dumb monster anymore. Like they're they're allowing him to talk his promos, his interactions backstage. They're a little bit more natural than they've been. And I give them credit for him improving a little bit. By the way, it's weird that like he had hair and was balding. So he shaved his head, but now he has like the stubble on the top of his head. It looked super weird. I know that's a superficial thing to say, but like, I don't know why he didn't just shave his head again. It was, it was noticeable. It was he looks he looks good bald with the beard. I, I don't know why. He and he looks good in like the yeah. compression shirt. Like yeah. it just it. I don't mind like the fatigue type of look for him. It's an, an improvement, but he's so big show. Like he's just so the guy that you insert into things when you need him. He can carry a championship if you need, but you never want to actually put the title on him for a long period of time. It's really just a modern big show with Strowman, and I don't know that. He's necessarily better than that, but it's just kind of frustrating to always have that piece of the pie in WWE. You know what I mean? Yeah. Where you kind of want a big man who's actually really good. So that's that's kind of a frustration. But okay, that's the main storyline from SmackDown and Raw. Let's talk about everything else that went down on those shows. I want to start with SmackDown, and they mixed together the SmackDown Women's and Tag Team Championships in a, in a promo. So I'm just going to kind of talk about all of that together. And we'll get to that now. The Dirty Dogs were asked backstage who would win a tag team match later. Ziggler picked Alpha Academy. The Street Profits showed up. 
and said the dogs got multiple title chances so that they should get another opportunity for the tag team titles. They were all about to face off, get in each other's grills, when Bailey suddenly stepped in to separate them and cut a promo about retaking her spot atop the women's division by beating Bianca Belair. Montez Ford came in with Belair on the speakerphone, uh, hearing all the shit that she was talking. After commercial, Belair got in uh, Bailey's grill, daring her to insult her to her face, and Bailey basically backed down and praised Belair, only to come back and laugh in her face at the end of the segment. There's not much to take away here, but I did like how they crossed the storylines and made, throughout all of SmackDown, actually, the entire episode, they made the backstage and even the roster as a whole feel communal, as if everyone had thoughts, opinions, or the rub from the others. There was always interaction throughout the entire episode. You can address that if you want, but what I actually wanted to discuss here about the women is WWE announced at 7 p.m. Eastern, one hour before SmackDown went on the air, that Bianca Belair would defend her title against Bayley at WrestleMania Backlash. And that's with a very minor build from last week. And I don't understand why they did that instead of actually developing a storyline during SmackDown, have there be a challenge and agreement later in the show. It's just really lazy booking and it shows a lack of care to showcase the women's division. The top men's storyline, as we discussed earlier, got 42 minutes at the beginning of the show and a bunch of other segments. It got basically an hour. The top women's storyline got two short promos. That's all we got on the entire show for Bianca Belair and Bailey. I thought that was exceedingly pathetic. Yes, and something I said leading into Mania and coming out of Mania was that we need... Bianca Belair to just rack up wins by doing amazing wrestling things. And we're not, we're not really getting that. We're just, we're getting a celebration, which was good, you know, but, but we need to see her. They, they kind of, WWE does a lot of show, does a lot of tell, but don't show like, you know, in school, when, when you have to show your work, you can't just tell us something happened. You have to give us the proof. So you, we need to see Bianca Belair, continue to kick ass and rack up wins and look great. Like that's yes. how you build her. It's not just she keeps telling us she's the best and we just say she's the best. And because of that one match at WrestleMania, we all agree that like, no, you have to continue to build this. And so to not give her any much time there to not have any real uh, fighting build up to a Bailey Bianca match announcement was detrimental to everybody involved. Yeah, like the championship celebration they did with her was totally fine. She got a lot of screen time, a promo in the ring. Mm -hmm. It was exciting. The Street Profits were there. That was all good. And on that same episode, I think that was last week or, or two weeks ago, I guess at this point, um, you had Sasha Banks upset and she left. And then Bailey basically state, hey, I want the title back. I want to go after this, right? So they laid the groundwork. What they did two weeks ago was totally fine. But what they did last week, this week, what we're talking about right now, it's just so insulting. Like you put over Bianca Belair in the main event of WrestleMania night one. And you're telling everyone that this is one of the two big storylines to come out of your show. And she gets 90 seconds, two minutes, three minutes. And not even all of that is involving her. Half of it, she's on the speakerphone. Like, what are you, what are you doing? You're not putting her in the ring, going over people. You're giving women's matches two and a half minutes on your program. We're going to talk about that in a moment. They are treating women 
exceedingly poorly across both SmackDown and Raw. We talked about it going into WrestleMania and coming yep. out of WrestleMania. They did fix it on Raw this week. I will give them credit. We'll talk about that later too. But on SmackDown, I hope they've heard the fan sentiment because this is a big deal. Like the women basically got zero time on SmackDown and they generally get zero in ring time on SmackDown unless a really big name's involved and it happens to be a main event match. But it's bad. And this was really a perfect example of the biggest issue in, on SmackDown right now, which is the booking and storytelling for the women's division. Yeah. Uh, but I, because, yeah. go ahead. No, yeah. I mean, it, it's been a problem for months, like months and months. We've been talking about this. The tag team was a mess. Then it kind of trickled into the, to the, to the singles competition. It was, it was not good going into mania and it's not good coming out of mania. Maybe what we got on raw was a reaction to the reaction to SmackDown. Um, we'll have to see this week if that changes because yes, we were okay with Roman and Brian and Cesaro getting an hour of SmackDown, but you can still, you know, use that remaining hour in a much better way than they did. Yeah. And and let's might as well continue with the women. We had Nia Jax against Tamina in a singles match. Reginald was finally back with them. Normally I'd complain about not allowing fresh people to get opportunities but I actually like the idea of a family versus family match. That that always interests me. And I thought they did a good job. Tamina destroyed Nia Jax outside the ring. Then Reginald distracted, and that led to Baszler getting kicked in her blind side. Baszler was yelling at Reginald. That distracted Jax. And Tamina rolled her up for the win. It was good that Jax finally suffered a singles loss. And it's good that Tamina got a victory. But another roll-up, another women's match that's like, Two and a half minutes. We got two roll-ups in a three-match span on SmackDown, which we'll talk about later. This actually started decent, and it had some promise. But holy shit, the women on SmackDown in totality got less than, I think, five minutes of TV time on a two-hour show where the main event men's storyline got an hour. Again, including all this is including commercials. On Raw... They got a lot more time this week, but generally they only get like nine or 10 minutes of in-ring action. There was a big groundswell over the weekend of people noticing that I think SmackDown over the last month or so has had 14 total minutes of women's wrestling actually on television. Wow. Now, I don't think that's 100% fair because you need to put promos and storyline build into context. TV time is TV time. And sometimes the best segments on a wrestling program are not in ring, they're on TV. But you cannot say that WWE is having a women's evolution or or had a women's evolution and that things have remained as elevated as they were during that period of time. They have come crashing down. That's not to say the women are being treated like they were in the Divas era. That is not the case by any means. But it's kind of in this weird middle ground where you have really damn good women's wrestlers and they have the ability to put on really good matches, particularly at pay-per-views. But on TV, especially on SmackDown, the A show right now, they don't feel it important to give them time. And when they do actually book matches, they end in two and a half minutes with a roll-up finish. That is Divas era booking. Yep. Yep. Dist- distraction roll-up. Any Anytime there's a women's match, there's probably like a 40% chance that's how it's going to end. I, I mean, le- legitimately. And... Why can't Reginald distract Naya? Something happened to her, and Tamina hit a, the Superfly spa, splash for the one, two, three. 
a clean win. Yeah, like like clearly Nia is getting distracted all the hell every damn episode of wrestling. But yeah, it doesn't need to be a roll up. Let her get a finisher and roll ups don't help anybody unless it's a Matt Riddle type of I got one over on you. Distraction roll ups never, ever, ever. But that wasn't help. even see. That's the thing that people I, I see people tweet me this sometime. And I'm sorry to interrupt. No. A crucifix pinning combination, an inside cradle. Those are wrestling moves, yeah, right? Exactly. Yep. Those are um, deserved pinfalls. And you see it in NXT and AEW, and you see it in New Japan. You see that all the time. A roll-up is as lazy as it gets. Mm-hmm. It's it's 24-7 title booking. That is insulting. But going the, in the other direction, and an inside cradle, or do, now I'm not expecting Tamina and Nia Jax to do an inside cradle. I'm not expecting them to do a crucifix pinning combination. They could do a jackknife cover, but I mean, they could I also they just could, give us I a clean freaking finish. Yeah. Anything else? I interrupted you. I'm sorry. No, no, no. Yeah, I mean, it's it's the same stuff we've been saying for months. That that it, it's just so weird coming out of WrestleMania when you made a star in Bianca Belair. You you emphasized how important this match was, history making it was. It was essentially a main event, and to come out of it not guns blazing with Bianca Belair. Let's take her to the moon now. It is strange. The tag team thing has been a disaster for quite a long time. I'm not, I, I can't pick out one episode as to it being bad, but yeah, it's just, yeah, it's, it's been bad. very confusing. For sure. Now I, I promise folks, by the way, who are listening and, and hearing us complain about the raw main event storyline and, and the SmackDown women's booking, there's positive stuff to come. Some hey, good we, stuff did we, happen. We opened, with, we opened with something we loved. Yeah, and, and there's more. I mean, we're going to talk RK Bro, and I'm going to like flip my freaking hat over. I love it, right? So there's positive stuff to come on this show, but there was some negativity that we got to discuss throughout you know WWE this week, and a lot of it honestly did involve the women, at least on SmackDown, and it involved the women. Before we move over to the Raw women, I want to wrap up this entire storyline with that tag team match that did happen that was mentioned um, in that promo segment. We got Ray and Dominic Mysterio against Alpha Academy. There was a funny spot where Chad Gable held the towel over Dominic and treated Otis like a charging bull. I actually thought that was pretty hysterical. <laughs> yeah. uh, Gable hit two belly-to-belly suplexes, but Dominic flipped out of a German. Ray got the hot tag and hit a Canadian destroyer, a flipping Huracarana off the turnbuckles as well. Dominic nailed his dad's sliding sunset flip powerbomb into the barricade. Pat McAfee lost his shit when he saw that uh, and took out Otis as Ray landed the 619 and the frog splash on Gable for the win. I thought this was a super fun match. The Mysterios will be an awesome set of tag team champions whenever that happens. I also loved that Cesaro and Brian came out after the match to dap them up on their way to the back. They did this all show, like I said, having the different wrestlers interact with each, with each other, despite it not being necessary in storylines. It was just a little tweak that makes a big difference. But this was a very exciting, very well done tag team match. And when you combine this with the main event style tag team match we got to open the show, there was some good tag team wrestling on SmackDown this week. Yeah, I, I mean, it, it's it's starting to get repetitive with mm-hmm. with Alpha Academy and Mysterio's trading wins every week. Um, but they're doing it in a way that feels fun, you know. So so you you can look past it a little bit. Um, it feels we'll like see- people are getting over when they're doing it. Exactly. Exactly. It doesn't for feel, some reason. Yeah. It doesn't feel like we're just trading wins. It feels like oh. Dominic looks better this week now. Oh, Otis! Otis looks like a monster. Otis got a couple, clean, you know, some somewhat clean wins. Yeah, yeah. They're not roll up distraction finishes. Like it's just someone just 
generally beat somebody else and they look good and we'll see what happens the next week. I I don't know. Maybe, maybe I mean, we give SmackDown largely benefit of the doubt on these things because they they pay it off well and we know they're treating all of their wrestlers seriously. So we treat them seriously as viewers. So this was it was good. The tag team division has legitimately been revitalized on both SmackDown and Raw. The difference is on SmackDown all the teams are teams you believe can win the titles and can factor into the title picture. So you have four teams, I think maybe there's five, that you believe at any point could get a title match, and I'm including the Dirty Dogs, of course, or could be legitimate champions to hold the titles and would be in a storyline that you believe in. Whereas on Raw, I believe there's six tag teams now. The champions haven't been there in three weeks. We'll get to that later. One of the tag teams is a total jobber team, which was the champions, the last set of champions. Lucha House Party is not even on TV. And everyone else, it feels like, is almost irrelevant at this point. So you got to give, I got to give some credit. We, it was not that long ago, Chris, six months ago, maybe, where we said the SmackDown and Raw tag team divisions were horrendous. They had no, they had no people in them. They had no legitimate teams built up. I got to give credit on SmackDown, they've built them all up. On Raw, they're not built up, but the tag teams at least exist. So it is one step in the right direction for Raw, but like three steps in the right direction for SmackDown. Yeah, and it's a sign of what they can do with the women, how quickly they can turn it around if they want to. If they um, want to. Yeah. yeah, so, you know, SmackDown put together their tag team division in basically a month. You know, they did they did a gauntlet match and a couple things, and boom, 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 we suddenly had four teams that were good. So like it, it can be done. We know it can be done. hundred percent. All right. Now let's go back to the women. We're going to talk about the women on raw and we'll start with the bigger storyline, which is Charlotte Flair. So randomly Sonya Deville appears to let suspended Charlotte Flair in through a back door. Deville had only been on SmackDown since her return until now. She welcomed Flair to the ring later with a WWE official that Flair attacked last week. Charlotte apologized to everyone. The referee accepted. And then he apologized to her when she noticed that he admitted to making a mistake in her match. DeVille said Flair paid the fine, so her suspension was officially lifted with a match coming up later in the night with that guy, Eddie, the referee, who would officiate her match. Flair and DeVille both smugly smiled, and DeVille told an angry Pierce backstage in gorilla position that it was a last-minute thing and nothing she was doing on purpose to undermine him. She apologized. He said he didn't believe her. Pierce was later on the phone saying he thinks DeVille is mad with power. I was a little surprised that they moved this storyline outside of SmackDown. I thought it was going to be self-contained on SmackDown. But Chris, I will say, I am intrigued by this. I know some people really hate the idea of heel general managers. I don't necessarily think Sonya Deville is a heel. I don't know what her motivation is, and I don't know what the end goal is. But here's the truth. I like Adam Pearce. I like Sonya Deville. And the idea that they're working together and he's helping build her up and her whatever this character is that she has up and she might get some power, like maybe in a, in a way like Paige used to, it's kind of exciting to me. I'm into the storyline. Yeah, I, I don't hate it. I, I like both of them and I've, I've liked the work they've done together on SmackDown. I think we could use some more kind of defining of roles, like what exactly is... Sony's role, do they have equal power? How exactly does this work exactly? Um, but, you know, 
the, the people involved, I really like it. So yeah, it's interesting they brought it over to Raw, and um, I'm I'm curious to see where it goes. Yeah, the only thing that really bothers me a little is I wish she was back in the ring, especially because on SmackDown you kind of trust that she could be in a damn good program with Bianca Belair. She could work a program with Sasha Banks. You know, she could be in a they could come up with a tag team for her. Not that I would want her shoved back into a tag team. I just kind of want her in the ring, and I know she was taking a lot. She took a lot of time off for the personal stuff that happened to her with the stalker. I'm wondering, is she in ring shape? Is she going to be returning to wrestling? Is she not? Is she going to take an extended sabbatical from the ring? I am kind of curious to find out what they're going to do. But I like her, like as an individual, as an entertainer. And the more of Sonya Deville that I can get on my TV, the better. And the interactions with Pierce so far are working pretty well. So I'm very happy with this. We did get that match later in the show. Charlotte Flair against Mandy Rose. Mandy and Dana Brooke were celebrating something that we'll discuss later backstage when DeVille approached, criticized them, and made Mandy the opponent for Charlotte. And I thought that was a cool, short, fun interaction between the ex-partners. Charlotte, in the match, nearly ran into the referee. And then he was slow on account, pissing her off twice. She went crazy. She screamed at him. She started slamming the canvas. Mandy caught her with two near falls. But Flair got aggressive, eventually caught her with natural selection, and got the clean win over Mandy Rose. I didn't mind this at all. Mandy has not been built up well enough to beat Charlotte. Charlotte needed a clean win over someone. They played off the Mandy Rose and Sonya Deville storyline. And I thought Charlotte looked exceptionally good here as well. Just in the ring, character-wise, developing this psychotic, enraged, true heel who just is pissed off at everyone, including authority. I kind of liked it all together. So this was a thumbs up for me. Yeah, you know, Mandy is in a tag team. So it makes sense she can lose a singles match perfectly fine. You know, I wish we could get more of that uh, on SmackDown, more of that in general. Right. Naomi can lose matches. Lana can lose matches. It's okay. And you can then you can have them win as a tag team like that. That highlights how good they are as a team. Like, right. It's not like you can't have any people lose. You have so many people in tag teams. They can lose and be fine. Um, Yeah. So it was um, it was it was good. It's it's still. You know, we'll get into the other women's stuff. It's still a little weird to me that uh, everything is kind of revolving around Charlotte in the Raw women's division, yeah. given who is the champion. But part of that is just because Charlotte has been doing a really, really good job. These last handful of weeks since coming back from Mania, she's cut some really, really good promos. Looks great in the ring. She's incredibly captivating. So part of that's just her doing a good job. No, I do think that's fair, actually. If you were to do a power ranking of the SmackDown women's division, it'd be Bianca Belair, probably Bailey, then Sasha Banks, one, two, three, right? On Raw, if you were doing a power ranking, it would probably be Charlotte Flair, maybe like Nia Jackson, Shayna Baszler, and then Rhea Ripley, three. And considering Ripley won the title at WrestleMania, just like Belair did, granted not in the main event, but in the co-main, Right. She should be getting that type of attention on Raw, and she's just not. She has been completely overshadowed by the return of Charlotte Flair. And it's pretty frustrating when you actually put it that way. And I'm glad you did put it that way, because I didn't really have that in my notes. Rhea Ripley just feels like she's a champion in name. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and we know she was not the original plan for right. everything, but... You went but ahead now and that made she's the champion... Champ, you went ahead and made her the champion. You went decided to make her a star. Like, you gotta... 
she, she, you got to give her promos more. I know she had that promo last week or the week before. It looked like she was reading off a cue card or something. I don't know. She she had one this week. It was better. It it it, it was better, but it just it feels like. And we'll get into the other match in a minute, but it doesn't feel like she. It doesn't feel like she's a big deal. No, it doesn't feel like she's a big deal. And including that is what happened in the match, right? So Ripley, I actually wrote this, cut a surprisingly strong but typical promo backstage saying that Flair's presence there didn't really bother her. Belair laid down the law to Jax and Reginald to stop with all the distractions. Jax got flowers backstage, but they were from Angel Garza, not Reginald. Jax liked them, but she later flung them at Mandy Rose's head. I'll say that I actually liked both of those backstage segments, so take that for what you will. Uh, Then as far as the match goes, Rosenbrook came down three minutes into the match, threw a bucket of water at Baszler, and Jax slipped in it. I just felt dread that we would get a stupid finish here. Lana and Naomi in the match actually looked pretty good. Ripley hit Naomi with Riptide, but she wasn't the legal woman. Lana caught her with two near falls that legitimately scared me, both of them. Like both of them, I thought they were about to have Lana pin the Raw Women's (laughs) Champion. So they did work me on that. But Ripley hit Riptide on Lana. And that should have been the finish. The champion hits her finisher on the sixth woman in the match, meaning the one person in the match who's really there to take the fall. But instead, she tags in Nia Jax for a leg drop and the win. I have no idea why they did not book the women's champion who hit her finisher to take to get the fall, to get the win, to improve her profile. Besides that, though, this was actually an entertaining six-woman tag team match, and it was quite well done. I hate the slipping stuff and the bullying of Rose and... Brooke on Jax. It's tired. I don't know how their faces when they're bullying her. Outside of that, though, I thought Jax flinging the flowers, the backstage segments, and the action in the ring, which went two segments, by the way, was all pretty good. Yeah, no, the flowers was funny. <laughs> I mean, she gets the flowers and then immediately throws them at Mandy, says, get some water for that. That was legit funny. Naya has legitimately been pretty funny. She has. With some of the stuff, but she should be the bully. I understand Mandy and Dana coming back down and throwing a bucket of water at Shayna. Like, I guess that's the, the comeuppance, but like... Why would you throw it at Shayna? Shayna didn't throw the flowers right. at you. And, and, all, and, all, and also, like, in context, it makes no damn sense. Like, you should get suspended for coming out and throwing water at someone you make. And by the way, a vase, if they brought a vase out... <laughs> Then it would have made sense. A breakaway vase, right? Well, you know, as I'm saying this, I'm understanding. I'm getting it now. I actually. Yes, it, it was for the flowers. It right. was the water yeah. for the flowers. I actually did not get that in the moment. I get it now. But, but, but still, the reason you didn't get it is because it was a white bucket. Yes, yes. Yes. If it was a vase and they threw it, then you'd say, oh, the flowers. Right. OK, that makes sense. Yeah, I, I I don't know. I just I feel like Mandy and Dana are much more talented than to be put in the various things they've been doing in recent it's weeks. So frustrating. They, they 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 ran they just quit a match and were basically hyped up as the smart people for doing that. They a couple of weeks prior they admitted that they were not too interested in the tag team championships. Uh, it's just it, it's very weird, specifically the booking of of the two of them. It's extremely strange. Yeah. Now. I will say this, and I got to give credit to Raw, I tweeted this. The women got nearly 40 straight minutes of action and coverage on Raw, starting at like 10 p.m. sharp in the third hour. They had backstage segments, matches, an Alexa Bliss thing we'll talk about later. I just thought it was really unique booking and quite enjoyable, especially because 
some of those other backstage segments happened prior to this. So we got, not only did we get women earlier in the show, not in matches, but we got them earlier in the show, but we got like 40 sustained minutes of women's wrestling. The six women match got good time. There were no roll-ups in the two matches. And every single active woman in the Raw division, with the exception of Nikki Cross, was on TV. So everyone who had been on TV recently got on TV during Raw. It's a three-hour show. There's really no excuse for this not to be the norm. You don't need to do 40 straight minutes, but the women should get anywhere between 30 to 60 minutes of TV time every week on Raw, with a, with a probably nice middle ground being in the 40 to 45 minute range. And I thought this was entertaining. It was exceptionally well done. And at no point during it did I think, wow, the women have been on TV for a long time. It was only when it was over. And I was like, wait a minute, we just got two women's matches and Alexa Bliss and the backstage stuff all together that I was like pretty impressed by it. So I don't know if it was a direct reaction to all the criticisms of SmackDown. Maybe it was, or maybe it's just how Raw has been booked. Raw does generally give the women, not just because they have an extra hour, but they generally do give the women more time than SmackDown does on average. But I thought it was notable that 40 straight minutes of women's wrestling, and I didn't even notice it until the end, right. which is how it should be. I, I didn't I didn't notice until you tweeted it from, from, yeah. from the Getting Overcast account. That's what, oh, I, I guess it was 40. Because, yeah, I mean, we've gotten to the point now where women main eventing Raw or SmackDown or a pay-per-view is like not surprising at all. That That's good. That's right. also a reason to not cut their time. Like they're clearly on the same level here. So, and by the way, there's some of the highest rated set TV segments. So if fans want to see it, right. Why would you not give them the time? It, it doesn't make any sense. Right. But okay. All right, we gave them a lot of time on today's show, as we always do here on the Getting Over Wrestling podcast. But what we have remaining, basically, except for one, is going back to the men's wrestling. Let's talk about the thing that got me most excited on Raw, which is RK Bro. (laughs) Riddle was riding his scooter, making jokes backstage about being happy that he beat Randy Orton last week. I popped for a Ricky Ticky Tavi reference, which is something I probably haven't heard in 15 or 20 years. Uh, Orton said he underestimated Riddle. And he earned his respect, but Riddle kept frustrating him with jokes in between everything Orton was saying. Orton said he thought about Riddle's RK Bro suggestion, so he actually got them a match to try it out. Riddle got excited. Orton was hesitant, but he bought into doing it as long as Riddle basically kept his mouth closed and stopped trying to frustrate him. So we got the match. RK Bro versus Shelton Benjamin and Cedric Alexander. And you knew, like, if it happened to be the Viking Raiders... Okay, maybe they might lose. Benjamin and Alexander, fully jobber status, 0-3 now since being split from the Hurt Business. Orton got the hot tag, hit the RKO on Alexander, who was flying into the ring. Got Benjamin, I think it was, with the draping DDT and tagged Riddle in reluctantly for the floating bro and the win. Riddle hugged him afterwards and Orton pushed him away, backed him off. This, Chris, to me, had the full taste of the rock and sock connection with Orton as the reluctant serious tweener and Riddle as the silly, jovial, pure baby face. I loved this. I don't know if this is a short story to get us to a match at Backlash where Orton just can't take it. So he RKO's him and he turns heel again, or if they're actually going to build this and build them as a team. With so many teams on Raw already, 
And it's weird to say that, as I said it earlier, it feels unnecessary for them to be a team. But tagging them does open more slots in the mid card for a lot of the guys that haven't been used that it seems like they're going to start using. We saw Garza. We saw Umberto Carrillo. Now we're missing Ricochet. We hope Ricochet gets elevated soon. But I thought this was perfect, top to bottom. It was entertaining. It was funny. There was good wrestling. Everything about this was a home run. Yeah, no, I want them to go go heavy with this like soon. Like this is really funny. This this is really entertaining. It's good. Like go with it. Roll with it. Start let, let let's see them every week. Let's see them start racking up wins, being funny. It, it's great. It's great. When, when when I think Orton says, I don't know what planet you're from, and Riddle goes, I'm from Earth. I, I popped big. I popped big for that. Like I, I was gonna cut it, but I couldn't see another like future use for it. For the podcast, yeah. I, I, I was down on Riddle promos for a while, and we talked about that. How we very much disagreed. I did not like the the dumb stoner gimmick, but over the last month or so, it's been tweaked to be curious child, and it's way funnier that way. Where like he's just interested in things. And he's into it and he's not mentally checked out. It's way funnier that way. It's it's easier to connect with it. It's more entertaining. I like watching it. So yeah, these guys can do a lot of fun stuff. Uh I, I we'll see where it is going forward, but I I'm all I'm all in on RK Bro. I, I I'm in on it. So I have no proof of this, of course. But if we were in front of a live crowd, I'm telling you, they would be going ape shit for Yes. Me. They would love all of the promo segments backstage, they you'd hear it like, you know, he wouldn't cut it in the ring, so you'd just hear the crowd in the background. They would go ape shit for him beating Orton last week, and they would have gone ape shit for this match and for Riddle and, and Randy Orton teaming together. Fans love this shit. It's really freaking good. It's a great way to elevate Riddle, no matter how it ends, no matter how they do it. I love that they're doing it and that they're rolling with it. I don't know what the end result is, but I'm curious to find out. And I also want to give Riddle credit because he was great on Raw Talk, which was a worthy watch this week. But Riddle had that same like childlike wonder and excitement. He was like bragging to R-Truth and Kevin Patrick. By the way, Xavier Woods should be the co-host of that show, not R-Truth, but yeah. I digress. He was bragging to them that he gets the team with Randy Orton and their RK-Bro and how it's all working out. It was really funny and really good. Riddle is great. I love that WWE is actually getting behind him and buying into them. I have always believed that he has a future as WWE champion. I It won't be with this gimmick, but the way that they're using him and the people they're putting him with makes me believe they see something similar. So because of that, I'm very excited about it. And that's been the main mid-card kind of storyline on Raw. Moving over to SmackDown, it's still involving Apollo Crews and Big E. So there ended up being an intercontinental title match, Apollo Crews against Kevin Owens. Cruz backstage yelled at Pierce for putting his title on the line. Pierce informed him that Owens was the opponent and said he would defend the title against Big E soon because he got screwed basically at WrestleMania. Owens said backstage he's been waiting for an IC title opportunity for years when Big E finally returned and he was really angry that KO jumped the line. Now, as far as the match goes, there was a good spot outside where Cruz missed a moonsault from the ring apron and Owens hit a super kick followed by a flying senton for a near fall. That brought out Sami Zayn to commentary. Cruz hit three German suplexes on Owens, and Owens hit two cannonballs, all of them from near falls. Owens hit a pop-up powerbomb for a 2.7 count, and then a frog splash off the ring apron. Very good match, exciting match. Commander Aziz 
jumped on the ring apron and Cruz rolled up Owens for the win. As I said, two roll-ups in a three-match span on SmackDown. Owens stunned Cruz. Aziz then came in the ring and hit him with the Nigerian nail as payback. And Zayn danced over Owens afterward. <laughs> the wrestling was really good. The booking was fine, except for the roll-up. Can we not get more creative than this? Have Aziz hit the nail behind the referee's back and allow Cruz to hit his finisher and just let him beat Owens. I don't know what the harm is. It's still a distraction interference finish and this guy gets over. We'll talk more about what happens after this, but I enjoyed the match. It was cool to kind of see Owens get the opportunity. I just really didn't like the finish. Yeah, I I mean, again, it it was fresh. It was new people interacting with each other and having matches and that keeps my attention when I don't know how something is going to go. So that was good. It it all made sense. And yeah, same thing with the distraction roll-ups. Like, just let someone hit a finisher. Like, if you want to build up a dude's finisher, you got to let him hit it a bunch. And even if it's a distraction leads to it, that's fine. We have to visually see it. Again, you have to show us that this is a this is a, a an intense move that knocks somebody out and leads to a pin every time. So yeah, they could have done it a little bit differently. Sure. I, in the end, I don't think it's that big of a deal, but yeah, they could have done it differently. And then Sammy, Sammy, Sammy Zane dancing over Kevin Owens, body was hilarious. I gotta say hmm. it was hilarious. So later backstage, Cruz was cutting a strong promo while Aziz was in the locker room when Biggie attacks Cruz from behind. So yes, they will be running this back next week. It will be the seventh time they fight for the title in 2021. I guess it's okay considering how many chances Cruz got for Biggie to get his rematch. But holy shit, this is repetitive. Yes, I feel like, again, there are easier ways they could do it in some form, but they like to just announce title matches. So I guess we keep doing that. Moving over to the mid-card title on Raw. Sheamus was in the ring making fun of Humberto Carrillo for getting his ass kicked last week, and he set another open challenge without the title on the line. So Carrillo showed up again. Sheamus cheap shot at him in the ring, but Carrillo got aggressive and took Sheamus out with a great tope suicida. The dude, by the way, is totally ripped. He looks like a male model. Anyway, it seems like they're doing a lot to drag out what is obviously going to be a singles match, I assume, next week. But it is kind of good booking, and Carrillo is getting some shine it does give Sheamus an opponent to get an easy title retention. I don't know if he's going to put the title on the line next week, but that's my expectation. I do not think there is any build for there to be a title match at Backlash. I think they're going to do with the U.S. title right now what they've been doing with the Intercontinental title on SmackDown, or I should say what they did with it for a long time, which is have it be the TV title, right? Have the matches and storylines completely be contained on television not on pay-per-view. And I think that's what they're doing here. But I like Carrillo getting a little bit of rub and he looked good this week. And I think a match between them would actually be great. Yeah, no, I, I think I like, you know, I like the open challenge. I, Humberto comes out of nowhere, looks pretty good. Probably get a match. I, I, I feel like we could have like delayed this like three weeks and like had Sheamus do a couple open challenges, get a couple of wins, there's not the really, career, but there, then the, the problem career. is, the problem is, I'm sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. There's not really anyone to open challenge. Like if he was doing that, it would be Carrillo, then it would be Garza, then it would be Ricochet. But I'm saying do those guys first and then we, and then Carrillo comes out and then we do what we've done the last couple of day, last couple of weeks here. And then, I guess they, get the, and then they get the title match at 
I guess what I'm saying is Creo would be that first guy. Like if they did open challenges in a real way, like what you're talking about, you want him beating low carters. No, I'm saying it could have been Garza first is what I'm saying. I guess they could have done Garza first. They could have maybe gotten Gulak in there or one of the Lucha House Party guys. Yeah, just just to give Sheamus sure. some... Again, I'm, I'm big on this. If you haven't told by every feed I'm talking about in this podcast, I'm big on the champions getting some wins and looking yes, good yes. before a challenge comes. Like, instead of just always being in a title feud, like, you, you, I, think, I think you just gotta... You gotta, again, you gotta show a little bit, not just tell us. It's a fair point. I guess I'm just looking at it from the perspective of they only have so many people in a position that they can do this with. Like they don't have Keith Lee there. They're not using Riddle in the mid card right now, or they're not using Bray Wyatt's not there. So it's like their mid card really does consist of Elias, who's in a tag team situation, Ricochet, Humberto Carrillo, and Angel Garza. And none of those three guys have been used. Now, yeah, you do have Gulak and you do have the Lucha House Party guys, and any individual tag team member could ask for a title match. But it's just really, they're not that deep, actually, when it comes to that. So there's not a guy ready-made to come take the title off Sheamus. I mean, I hope it's Ricochet. Like, I hope he goes through this with Carrillo. I hope he goes through it with someone else. Then Ricochet steps up, and all of a sudden, they're putting Ricochet over, and he's back in the spotlight. Sure. I just don't know that's what's going to happen. I hope it is, but I don't know that it will be the case. Sure. I, I just love the open challenge idea for the U.S. title. It was awesome when Cena did it. I know Sheamus but it was on exciting. That That's the difference. Like when Cena did it, holy shit, Sami Zayn is here. Oh my god, Kevin Owens is challenging. Oh Even my god, it's this John, person. John Cena Cody Rhodes match one time was like it was right. fun. It was different. So I just anytime there's a chance to do something, like dude, have Sheamus yeah. do it and have Santos Escobar from NXT answer. Yeah, that gets me excited. Yeah, and it rubs NXT by the way. Let's not yep. forget, which is on the following night on the same channel. Yep. So if you want him to do it, have people from NXT show up. Put the title on the line. You don't need them to win, but have them give him a go. Yeah. That gets me excited. Have Cameron Grimes show up. That would be funny. Maybe he can get squashed. But anyway, I wish more from this, but I do like that Creo is getting a little bit. Sure. Up. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Go- it, it, it's, not, it's not bad. Going back to SmackDown. Finally, finally, fucking Finally, we get a vignette for Alistair <laughs> Black. He read a story about being taught not how to defeat a dragon, but rather how to become a dragon. Black called the viewers monsters for turning their children into even bigger monsters. It was strong. It was interesting. There wasn't a hook at the end bringing it back to wrestling, but this was chapter one. So the expectation is there's going to be many weeks of this and then we'll actually get him redebuting. I'm intrigued. I'm hopeful that one of the most talented guys on the main roster they, that they have right now being unused is finally about to be surfaced again. Also, the production value of this was fantastic. It was probably done by the same people who did the Tian Shaw stuff over in NXT. That to me means they're buying into this. They're actually going to try to make this work. I want Aleister Black as a legitimate mid-carder. I want him as someone who could contend for the Intercontinental and Universal Championship eventually down the line. They have something really good in this guy, Tommy and Alistair Black. And my hope among hopes is that they are finally going to allow us to see it on the main roster right here. Yeah, we'll, we'll see. That's not the sound drop I meant. I actually yeah, you, meant this. You, you, go ahead. Because it is good shit. I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I mean, I don't think this was... 
I don't think this was such good shit yet. It was. I was excited oh, to see him. I loved it. I was. I was kind of meh on what he said, but we'll see where it goes. I'm not. I'm not out on it by any means. It's just. Um, I kind of got. I'm. I'm curious to see where I was waiting, like you said, to see where it goes, how it ties into wrestling. We'll see. So I'm. In, I'm definitely intrigued. I love Alistair Black. Um, are they going to get it right though? I'm. I'm. I'm waiting on that. Speaking of maybe not getting things right, uh, we have Alexa Bliss on Alexa's Playground. She asked viewers to stare into her eyes, think dark and twisted thoughts, and repeat Lily's name. Bliss said Lily was restless on the playground, which I think indicated that she's ready to wrestle again and she's going to be going after the women's division. I like that it's different, by the way, from The Fiend and the Firefly Funhouse. But other than that, I'm still in a wait-and-see position on this. It's not good. It's not bad. It doesn't draw the excitement that Firefly Funhouse or Bray Wyatt did at the onset of that character, because that was breaking the fourth wall. There were funny little jabs and puns at WWE. And it was just, it's Bray Wyatt. So it was exceptionally entertaining. This feels like more than anything else, a knockoff of that. And The Fiend has disappeared again. So where the hell is Bray Wyatt? What are they doing with that character? Now we have Alexa Bliss. And there just doesn't seem to be much. It seems like it's a character change and that's fine but there's not mojo behind it where you're actually getting excited. Is she a face? Is she a heel? What's actually happening here? So I'm not crapping on it, but I'm also not loving it yet. I'm just going to do hands behind the head, feet up on the desk, wait and see what happens. Yeah, I'm I'm not loving it. It's uh, Alexa's delivering it with the best ability she can. She's incredibly talented, but it's everything. It's the production around it that's taking away from it she's doing this in a ring like it's it's in the backstage ring like you can see the wwe logo and ropes <laughs> behind her and right. just winks at this is right. not like the firefly house where it feels like it's a new area and i'm interested it just feels like another interview type of thing it, it, it's it lacks the creativity that firefly funhouse had and i guess now the whole thing is lily made me do it so at some point here alexa's gonna do something evil and say Lily made me do it. I I don't know. I'm you're right. It it feels like a knockoff. It's been three weeks of this now, and there's zero sense of it going anywhere or building to anything. Um, well, it seems like she's wrestling next week. I, I guess we'll see. We'll we'll see what happens. I just so far I'm really don't care for it. It feels like it's just it lacks the creativity and nuance and interesting stuff that Firefly Funhouse had. So it's, it's, it's not on Alexa. She's, she's delivering everything she can. She's really good. It's just, I think it's, it feels like a lackluster production. Fair enough. Uh, and we also had a six man tag team match on Raw, six man and six woman match. Let me just say the six woman match was way better than the six man match. Uh, New Day and Damian Priest against the Miz, Elias and Jackson Riker. John Morrison joined the heels for Miz TV. So Morrison's back. Maurice is gone. I guess Miz can't just be by himself. Uh, where they were all still ta- still talking about Bad Bunny and did an acoustic version of Hey, Hey, Hop, Hop. They're still doing this. The guy hasn't been on TV in three weeks. He's not in WWE anymore. Uh, Priest and New Day threw rotten tomatoes at them, really. Uh, I don't even know if that's a trope that younger people know in 2021, but they threw rotten tomatoes at them. It was funny. Miz did get hit in the face with one and Morrison got hit in the nuts with one. So like, that was funny, but that was unintentional. Like that didn't, they were just throwing freaking tomatoes at them, which was stupid. The match was boring as sin. It took 
way too long to get to a finish, I should say. There was a triple team that I thought was gonna end with Priest getting the win, but Riker kicked out. Instead, they had Xavier Woods beat Riker with an inside cradle. I don't know why when you have a six-man match and a guy in Riker who can easily take the fall, you waste an opportunity to put Priest over. Why do you need a pinning combination from Xavier Woods to beat Riker? Priest should be getting the win, just like Rhea Ripley earlier in the six-woman tag should have gotten the win. It's really dumb booking, and I know you said you don't care that much about those things. I do. I think it's simple missed opportunities. Does it? Is it going to change the course of Damian Priest's career? No. But seeing Priest get the one, two, three and getting his hand raised as the primary person means a lot more than it does for Xavier Woods. But more than anything else, this six-person match was boring as freaking sin. No, I, I agree with you that they have done a very, very poor job of giving any sort of rub to Damian Priest throughout all of this. Like, Bad Bunny rightfully got a lot of the attention. He was the draw. But the larger purpose was to eventually make Priest look good coming out of that. And we haven't gotten that. And even, I think Priest said in the promo when he was talking with Miz, he said Miz lost to Bad Bunny. He didn't say you lost to us. He said you lost to Bad Bunny. Like, no, dude, like, you won that match. You, it was a tag team match. They got to do a much better job of building Priest up and telling us how great he is. And yeah, no, I agree with you. He should be getting a finish. He should be doing the finish, getting the pin. Uh, totally agree. This match was really boring. And by the way, I don't know if we're going to talk about it or not, but I watched the Miz WWE 24 episode sure. um, leading into Raw, and it kind of ran over. So during this match, I actually flipped back over to Peacock and finished watching the Miz 24. That's how, that's how boring it, the, the match was. I just was did terrible. not care for it at all. Uh, wanted to see how the 24 ended because that was a really, really good documentary. Um, that was really interesting about Miz. And then to come back and see what he's doing on this episode of Raw, I was like, man, like he's more talented than being involved in whatever this is. 24 was great. It's a total worthwhile watch. Um, especially, it gives you a lot of insight on... I mean, you knew everything that happens in the 24 because Miz's career has been so public, but it gives you in, his insight on what happened and what some of the other people in the locker room felt while... He was, I mean, look, it was interesting to me that a large part of the documentary, probably 20 minutes of the documentary, is about Miz legitimately being bullied. Mm -hmm. And, you know, WWE is trying to stay away from that. And they're trying to put Bill DeMott in the past and, and the locker room culture, you know, of the late 90s and, and 2000s. They're trying to put all that in the past. Sorry, the locker room culture forever, up until the 2010s, <laughs> I guess, yeah. is, really, is really the point. But they really hammered it home on this, like that Miz was bullied and he was kept out of the locker room for seven months. And Bill DeMott, when he was trying to get on to Tough Enough, maybe that was more tough love than it was bullying. But we know that Bill DeMott in the Performance Center and NXT was a bully. So the fact that they spent so much time on it to me was really surprising, but it made it even that much better that they didn't shy away from it. So it was a very good 24. The one thing I think is weird is I don't know why 24 to me was always chronicling 24 hours. Right. I think that's how it started. Yeah. But it's now turned into like a career retrospective show. But they have other shows like Chronicle, <laughs> like Chronicle yeah. periods of time. And they have other shows that do more career retrospective type of deals for wrestlers. So I don't know what 24 has turned into, but it is no longer what I think it started as which was a 24-hour chronicling of someone's journey 
like the day going into a, a big event or the 24 hours leading into WrestleMania or stuff like that. I yeah. don't know why they do it this way now, but it was I, good. I, yeah, I think they have the day of now it might be the new version of that, but it's kind of like 30 for 30. Like there's been 80, 30 for 30s now. So it's just kind of. Yeah, it's how, just a name now. It yeah. and, and one other thing, it's J- weird. John Cena tweeted out um, the, the, the 24 episode and, and really built up Miz's work ethic and, and everything he did to get to this point. So, I mean, talk about a sign of respect. Uh, that was that yeah. was really notable as well. You can tell how much a guy like John Cena respects the Miz and, and how hard he works. And, and one thing that stuck out to me in that as well, not only the bullying, but when Miz said he volunteered to do every media appearance that so was like 6 a.m. to 2 p.m. that nobody wanted to do, he said he would do all of those. He asked to cut a promo on every house show because he wanted to get better. So like I found it pretty inspiring as a guy who just knew where he wanted to get to and did all the little things that nobody else wanted to do that helped him get there. So props to Miz for that. Uh, legit think there's a lot of life lessons you can learn from that episode. It's really good. Anyone who heard my interview with Drew McIntyre, you know, he's the exact same way. Yeah. He said very similar things. And that effort, that perseverance, it will get you far in life. I can tell you personally from my personal like career, my, my day to day, it has done a lot uh, for me. And yes, putting yourself in a position where your company can trust you and count on you to do a lot of things that even maybe some other people don't want to do. It really pays off in the end. And with Miz, you could see it pay off incrementally. Then it paid off with Vince. The promo work paid off and it got him that spot. It got him that WWE championship. And it has allowed him to remain relevant throughout his entire career. And I just found it. Yeah, you're right. I did find it very inspiring. It was a very, very good 24 on the back, by the way, of another very, very good 24 with Keith Lee, which was super inspiring. And now we're just like waiting and begging for Keith Lee to get cleared and to get back into the squared circle. I hope we see that sooner than later. He seems to be have a positive mindset on Twitter, but certainly there's been no news whatsoever about what's keeping him out, why he's still out or when he might come back. So certainly uh, hoping to see that. The other thing to mention is I did not see the Rowdy Roddy Piper A&E biography. So what we'll do, because we did want to talk about Ms. TV this week, And I want to talk about Impact Rebellion before we get out of here. I want to save that for next week. So next week, we'll talk Roddy Piper and Macho Man A&E biographies, assuming no other major news happens that takes time on the show. But before we get out of WWE completely, and I do talk about Impact for a very brief period of time, I did want to mention Adnan Verk because we talked about him two weeks ago. We did not talk about him next week. Look, the first week that he was on commentary on this show, what did I say? You got to give the guy six to eight weeks. You you have to. This is different. It's unlike any other type of wrestling play-by-play or any other type of sport play-by-play. Wrestling is a completely different animal. And I'm still giving him the remainder of that time to pass full judgment. But what I will say is through the first 90 minutes of that show on Monday, he took a hard turn in the wrong direction. Like he went from being low energy and clearly forcing the fact that he was excited to being overly excited and trying to ram puns into the broadcast. It was somehow his worst outing, despite the fact that the first week and even into the second week, he didn't know many of the superstars or moves. Now, I will say in the third hour of Raw, it kind of felt like he got comfortable and he had some nice rapport with Corey Graves and Byron Saxton and he eased up on the 
pushing too hard to sound energized. But at the start of the show, it was horrific broadcasting. I don't know if you thought the same, but I wanted to say that before we moved on. Well, I was going to say I completely disagree up until you said he got comfortable in the third hour and it was right. He did I, get better. I, yeah. So I, I overall, I thought it was a step forward. Um, he he starts to feel comfortable knowing when to get excited, knowing when to sell something is a big deal to me. Are there technical things that are still off? Yes, sure. But like the number one thing I wanted to see from him that we did not see from the first two weeks was that he was interested and into what he was watching, what was happening in front of him. And and I did get that sense uh, this time. Like, I I think I might have said it last week. Like, I know a lot of people don't like Dick Vitale and his analysis is not very good these days, but he freaking loves college basketball. And like, there's a joy to him watching these things when you hear him. And I appreciate that. That makes me care more about what I'm watching. That, especially in the third hour, was a improvement this week. I did feel like Adnan Verk is starting to understand and be into what is happening in front of him. There's still a, a ways to go. Um, there, there's uh, The three-man booth, I think, is a big part of it because Graves is doing play-by-play half the time. So it's kind of a – I don't know what our expectations for Adnan Verk should be, but they're not Michael Cole on SmackDown because that's a two – man boot. So it, it's kind of a weird position. I did think this was better. One thing I also noticed, or one thing I heard, um, Peter Rosenberg actually said on, on GP last week that he told Adnan Verk not to call moves because if you get it wrong, yeah. everyone's going to be mad at you. And if you get it right, no one's going to care. So that might, I don't know how much Adnan Verk took that into account, but in terms of him calling moves or not calling moves, I wonder if that has played into it. Uh, at all. Well, I mean, none but, of these guys. Over, overall, I thought, overall, I will say, I thought, especially in the third hour, it was a step forward for Edinburgh. None of these play-by-play guys in WWE call moves to the extent that I, as a wrestling fan, want them to call moves. Now, I agree that as him starting, he should not probably call moves because, yes, he would get them wrong. But at some point, he needs to be able to call the action as a play-by-play man. I agree. It's, it's literally the job description. Yep. That's why I don't love your Dickie V comparison. Your Dickie V comparison is more apt for Pat McAfee because Pat is a true wrestling fan. Sure. Well, we'll say, well, you, wrestling. you could say Gus Johnson calling, calling soccer for Fox is maybe a better comparison. Gus is a better example, but Gus has an intimate knowledge of every sport that he covers. Well, not soccer. That was the thing. But he learned. Yes. He, he, would, he would say it correctly, but it didn't sound natural coming from him. This is the same. He, Adnan Verk may learn but so far, it doesn't sound natural, him being excited about wrestling. It feels forced, yeah. which is what Gus Johnson's excitement felt like when he was calling soccer. Now, maybe that will change over time. If Adnan stays in this job, six months from now, he may just go just like Tom Phillips and Michael Cole as background noise. And you're like, oh yeah, you know what? Actually, he is doing a much better job than he was before. But now it's noticeable. Now it feels forced. It feels fake in many ways. I hope that changes. I believe he's a good enough broadcaster where there's a good chance it does change and it does improve massively. But, you know, I hope not to talk about him every week. But it was, he was not trending on Twitter, but he was one of those main topics under the WWE Raw trend on Twitter because people are talking about him. So if people are talking about him, I feel like that means we need to address it. We're on maybe slightly different sides, but maybe at the end, we kind of believe the same, which is, look, it's been three weeks. Let's give him another three to five. Let's then actually, we can we have a body of work where we can judge this guy on commentary 
and say whether he belongs in the role or maybe they need to move on from him. And we'll see what happens there. So that's it on WWE. I'm going to talk Impact Wrestling Rebellion, the pay-per-view from Sunday. Chris did not have the opportunity to watch it. So we will bid him adieu, which is appropriate because we're going to talk about Kenny Omega right now. So let's get right into it. There's really only three things I'm going to talk about from the pay-per-view. One, a debut of a former WWE superstar, a brief note on the women's championship match, and then the main event, which is really why we're here. Big Cass debuted for Impact as W. Morrissey, which is a play on his real name. Dude looked fantastic. He had like an eight-pack, totally defined, seemed to be rejuvenated. The ring work was the same, but he has a nice soft landing in a faction led by Eric Young, so probably he won't have to do that much of the heavy lifting. We'll see if this pays off in an eventual return to WWE and NXT, or maybe even to AEW eventually. But it's great to see this guy healthy, getting the second chance, and he did look good in what we saw from him in that, I believe it was a six-man tag team match. We had a women's championship match, Deanna Perrazzo against Tennille Dashwood, two women who were formerly in WWE and NXT. I thought it was a fine match. Nothing to really take away from it, to be honest. I do think Perrazzo is a bit overrated, but this was not exceptional by any means, not worth a star rating, in my opinion, in the twos, if I was going to give it one. It just, people really build up the impact knockouts division, but whenever I see them, I don't ever think it's that exceptionally good from a wrestling standpoint compared to what we get in WWE, NXT, and AEW. The wrestling in AEW has improved drastically. Their women's division has improved drastically. This, to me, for a pay-per-view title match that had some build, it seems like, wasn't that exceptional. But then the main event, this is what we're really here to talk about. Title versus title. Rich Swan, the Impact World Champion against Kenny Omega, the AEW World Champion. It was great to hear Mauro Ronaldo back on wrestling commentary for the first time since leaving NXT. There was a huge build to this match. Swan cut a really rough promo midway through the show. And he just, to me, screams mid-carder. It is really tough to believe in him as a main eventer, and to think of this as an epic match going into it. There were two referees, Brian Hebner for Impact. By the way, he looks exactly like his father, which obviously makes sense because it's his son. And Aubrey Edwards for AEW. Don Callis took over ring announcing duties before the match and did a great job building the importance of it before the bell rang. There was a bad botch on a double top rope move that led to nothing, but Omega eventually hit an awesome gut-wrench sit-down powerbomb for a 2.8. Omega nailed a few V-triggers. There was a failed avalanche one-winged angel that seemed like it was on purpose, but maybe it didn't go as it was planned. There was another V-trigger followed by two snapdragons, but Swan hit a cutter. Then Swan tried a handspring cutter, but Omega dodged it, and Swan hit it on Hebner, the referee. Edwards jumped in as referee, and Omega grabbed a chair that she stole from him. Omega got distracted. Swan hit the handspring cutter and a cradle, but Omega reversed it for a near fall. Swan then hit a spinning Mishinoku driver for another near fall as Edwards exited the ring and Hebner regained himself. Swan missed a Phoenix splash. Omega hit a V-trigger and turned a one-winged angel into a German suplex bridge, then hit the J-driller, all of that for a pair of near falls. Omega hit like four to five more V-triggers. Swan missed a second Phoenix splash. Omega came back with one more V-trigger and a one-winged angel to win the Impact World Championship. This was a very exciting match, and Morrow did a great job keeping the story in perspective. It would not have come across as good or as important as it did without him. The result was expected, but the journey was worthwhile. 
It was rough and sloppy in parts due to Swan candidly just not being that good. It also looked like he was blown up and completely exhausted. Omega carried this match. I like that they teased a screw job finish only to give us one in the end that was squeaky clean. I thought that was really good booking. So the booking of this was ex- exceptionally good. As far as the match, the final few minutes were great, but it was really tough to buy into it as a truly great match. So I'm between a B plus and an A minus. I'll probably give it four stars because of the booking and because of Omega, which is an A minus, by the way. Swan really did not contribute to this being a very good match. The pay-per-view as a whole was probably a C plus with this match elevating it. I saw some people that were giving it high marks. I don't know how you can watch an AEW event, a takeover, or even a regular WWE pay-per-view. And the WWE pay-per-views have been very good recently. And then watch this and think this was a good pay-per-view. To me, it was average with a strong main event. So credit to them. I'm curious now to see what AEW is going to be doing with Kenny Omega. He has the Impact World title, the AEW Championship, and the AAA Mega Championship. So he has three titles. They seem to be doing a belt collector gimmick. I don't really know what other belts he can collect. I don't think they're going to let him go to Ring of Honor. I would be surprised if he fought Will Ospreay and beat him for the IWGP Heavyweight Championship. So now we're just in a spot where I don't know what the end result is. And I'm going to be interested to figure out what that is. Maybe it is Omega losing the AEW title to Hangman Page or to John Moxley, but still having all these other titles. But then you have your main guy, one of the biggest guys in your company, if you're AEW, competing everywhere else except your company. Or maybe he's defending those other titles on AEW television. I don't know. There's a lot of different directions they could go. I am curious um, what is going to happen. And I am anticipating AEW on Wednesday, Dynamite, because I want to see what Omega and Callus and the Young Bucks and the Good Brothers have to say coming out of this. So all in all, it was, I guess you can say it was an enjoyable show to watch, but so much happened on that card that was just irrelevant to me as a wrestling fan. Matt Cardona, I think, uh, dislocated his kneecap during a match with Brian Myers. Like, that's what you're talking about. You're talking about Zack Ryder and Kurt Hawkins having a featured singles match on a pay-per-view. That's what's happening over in Impact. So it's for me, it's tough to get excited about it. But yes, the main event was solid. The pay-per-view was solid. It does seem like the upcoming shows that they've announced under Siege and Against All Odds. Under Siege, to me, it sounds like an AEW Invasion pay-per-view. Against All Odds, I know it's a name that TNA has used previously and Impact has used before, but it feels like a playoff on Double or Nothing as a gambling-themed pay-per-view. So it will be interesting to see what the relationship between these companies is going to be like going forward and what's going to happen to Kenny Omega. So that's it. That is the Silver King breaking down Impact Wrestling, which does not happen often on this podcast. And I do thank, of course, as always, Chris Vanini for joining me to break down the week that was in WWE. Now, I did not take care of business at the start of the show. So I do need to remind you that the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast, this here show, is all about the five. Stop being marks for yourselves and go back to being a mark for me. Yes, I still don't have the right sound drop. If anyone can find the Booker T All About the Five sound drop from TV, I need it. Please send it to me. I will cut it for the show. But the purpose of this is to remind you to head on over to Apple Podcasts, drop a five-star rating and review 
to let people know how much you love this podcast. And do not forget to also go ahead and follow us on Twitter at Getting Overcast. It is exceedingly important if you have a Twitter account that you follow us. And if you don't have a Twitter account, that you make one so you can follow us at Getting Overcast. We did not get many DMs and tweets this week. That is why we did not have any on today's show, but maybe we will have more when we return on Thursday for our full breakdown of NXT and AEW Dynamite. So do not miss that episode about 48 hours from this week. Thank you all for listening to this edition of the Getting Over Wrestling Podcast. With that, the Silver King is going to leave you with three final words. Bye for now.